Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Kaylee and Josh. Each week, they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, Josh talks to Will and Scott, two entrepreneurs that moved to Portugal during the pandemic. They discuss the realities of opening a business, of the LGBT community, and of home renovations all in their brand new country. Stay tuned. Hey, Kaylee. Hey, Josh. Great to see you again. Hello, hello, Dan. What is going on, Dan? It's good to see you. It's pretty wild how quickly we've started to get into a groove here. Tell me about it, man. These things keep happening every single week. (laughs) That's right. So kick us off with episode four. Tell us what's been going on, guys. Well, just working on videos, honestly. Like We've just been trying to get some edits done, trying to get out ahead of our video content on YouTube because we're going to take a little bit of an editing break whenever we go on vacation in uh, end of March. Yeah, notice he said editing break, so not a full-on break from work, (laughs) but editing break. There's never a break when your job is documenting travel. Yeah, exactly. We'll film, but um, yeah, we've we've actually had the flexibility to meet up with some people during the week. Nice. Um, Yeah, so that was nice, getting to do lunch with people and dinner with a patron of ours last night, so that was awesome. Very nice. Yeah, it's been a busy week of work, but then also we we have had the chance to hang out with some friends and meeting new people, so it's been good, a good mix, I'd say. Yeah, and Carnival is is now rolling into town, so that's pretty cool, too. We're getting to see kind of a little more of the Portuguese culture with our daughter being in a school that is not a Portuguese school per se, but it's a private school here in Portugal, so they are showing us that culture, right? Yeah. That sounds really fun. Yeah, definitely celebrating there. And I had to ask the teacher, you know, what kinds of 
outfits and costumes the kids wear, you know, and it's it's really similar to Halloween, but I just wanted to make sure because I had a couple options for Sia and, you know, I was going to let her choose, but just make sure that everything's kind of on the table, which it's true. You see the kids dress up in all different types of things, just like Halloween. So it's fun to see them celebrating and then um, it'll kick off with the adults soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, among the two and three year olds, the ladybug is very popular. Very nice. The ladybug. But, you know, that's like a little cartoon. Oh, is it? There were because there were a ton of ladybugs at the little <laughs> parade that they had. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little cartoon. I think Minnie is big. Spider Man was big with the boys. I noticed. Yeah, there was there was Sia dressed up as Minnie, and then there was another girl that was also Minnie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the typical stuff, typical kids stuff. Yeah, so we've also uh, just been playing the waiting game on the vertical community project that we're working on. So that's where we're we're hoping to purchase a building here and uh, have multiple units that that we can sell off or that you know individuals have invested into. And the waiting game is waiting on a quote. So we have two properties that we need a quote back on, and hopefully we'll get that soon. Hopefully this coming week we'll have a quote, and we'll be able to move forward. I can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah, hopefully uh, we are making our way forward on that one. We'll see. Well, I mean, we're definitely making our way forward now, whether we end up buying something. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. Well, I'm definitely very interested in hearing more as things unfold. Josh, Will and Scott were at the light. Tell us how you know them. You know, it's it's actually really interesting because I met both of them separately. Oh, really? Scott, over two years ago, contacted us when uh, he and Will were interested in moving to Portugal. and. We were staying at our third apartment here in Porto at that time, and I distinctly remember getting a message from him and and just kind of the the casual style of communicating with me. I really liked. I don't know. There was something about the way he worded stuff that really struck me and stayed with me. Nice. I like a very kind of cool, thoughtful, knowledgeable guy. It's a very good explanation of him. So I met him through you know Facebook messages and, and emails and whatnot, and then Will. We met at a meetup. Uh, Scott wasn't at the meetup, but Will was. And his story really interested me because essentially he moved here with the idea of starting a business and the business has to do with fashion. He's not the first person that I've met that's doing something in the fashion industry, but he he definitely had a more interesting story. So I, I wanted to dig into that and I thought straight away, we need to get him on the podcast to tell kind of how all of this came about. And how the brand is doing now. They they are early days in having a storefront open, but it's just fascinating knowing foreigners that are moving here and starting businesses. Yeah, really cool guys and a great story. So it's interesting to hear what they're up to. I couldn't agree more. I love the conversation, and listener, you can hear it too right after this. Worldpost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. World Post can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. <laughs> Amazon purchases. Amazon the purchases. US. <laughs> and you can get it to Portugal. And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. <laughs> She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. 
Okay, let's talk about Lusitana Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dream since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and, and choke point of the proof of accommodation. Because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the, like the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location and a livable location until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of, of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below. All right, Scott and Will, thank you guys so much for joining us on this podcast today. We don't often have the pleasure of talking to someone about setting up a business in Portugal. Most people are moving either with passive income or active income as a remote worker, but you guys are actually here getting involved in the local economy and meeting a lot of local people, I assume. So let's dive into this journey. I'm really looking forward to this. What was it like in the beginning making the decision on moving to Portugal or were there any other countries that were involved in the mix? We put together a whole list of countries. I'm yep. a data guy, so I pointed out what were our 10, 15 criteria, found as much comparable data between the different countries, whether it's cost of living, weather, the healthcare, the crime rate, LGBT safety and rights, all those things. Easy opening up a business, the cost of living, and put them on a, a giant spreadsheet. And, and then we just processed the numbers. And then COVID hit. And all the numbers started bouncing around. So we bounced around on what our target was. But we started out looking at Portugal. We, we took a little bit of a journey around Europe. And we ended up back at Portugal in terms of what our target country was going to be. Okay. What kept drawing you back to Portugal? Partly, it was all the, a lot of the same factors that all y'all are looking at Portugal for. It, it's the cost of living. It's the ease of getting a visa. It's the business-friendly environment. Um, uh, the two other countries that are on our shortlist were the Czech Republic and the UK. Right. And the UK was a wild card. We didn't know what Brexit was going to do. But in terms of opening a business, it made it really easy because it's the same, the same language and the same business law, uh, basically, as the US. So it would be uh, a lot of the stuff that we have no clue at what we need to do here and we have to involve lawyers. We could have done with uh, just reading through the paperwork there. But as we got into COVID and we saw what was happening with Brexit, UK kind of dropped in ranking, mainly because we lost the ability to have the open market with the rest of Europe. And during the process of the Czech Republic, we realized it took 10 years to get a permanent residency or citizenship in the Czech Republic, while in, in Portugal, that's only five. So that was a big factor for us. 
Okay. And we'll double back on some of the criteria that you guys laid out and really helped make your decision because I'm curious if your expectations and your realities are the same. And I think that the audience is going to be very curious about that as well. Okay. Will. Yeah. Let's go, man. So <laughs> tell us, where did you guys move from? We moved here from Austin, Texas. Okay. But also when we were in the U.S., we moved around a lot. So we've lived in California, um, in Los Angeles area. We've also lived in New York City. We've lived in New Jersey. And then before, um, after that, we've lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And then we moved to Austin, Texas. And was it jobs that kept you bouncing around or lifestyle? First move to New York, uh, we needed a change. Uh, I wanted to go back to school for fashion design and also Scott got a job over there. And after that, I think we just got tired of New York City. It's hard over there. So mm. we decided he can pretty much get a job anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's what made the move. Right, Scott? Okay. Very cool. Austin's a pretty hip city and a lot of people are moving to Austin, but you guys moved out. So why was that? Prices. We got okay. priced out. Yeah. The tax is 3%, right, in Austin. So as our property value goes up, we just, yeah, we just can't really afford living. And you guys live in Porto right now. You're going to move over to the Gaia side. But how has that been? Has, has Porto and Austin drawn some parallels for you? Or is it just a completely different experience? For me, I don't think it's, it's not the same at all. Yeah. We, in terms of prices. Um, Just in, in general, prices, culture, amenities, the vibe. I think the best part is not having a car in Porto is really not a problem. We can pretty much access places with public transportation, buses or metro. And that's, I think, and it's pretty diverse in, I think, for me, what's missing is the diversity in restaurants compared to what I'm used to in Austin, Texas. Sure. Yeah, the culinary scene here, I could use a bit of work. It's definitely not on the international uh, map for the culinary scene. But if right. you want to have local food, it's great. Some people don't have a palate to Portuguese cuisine when they move over here, and, and that can be problematic. Have right. you found any problems with the local food? No, not at all. I enjoy exploring different kind of food. But I think for me, it's just, I want the variety. If yeah. I have to eat the same thing over and over every day, I will get tired of it. But, yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning a bit and talk about the application process. Because, Scott, you were saying that one of the criteria was not an easy path per se, but a straightforward path. Have you all found that the process, the visa process to get here and establish a business was straightforward and easy, or were there some obstacles that you came across? There were many steps, but they were clearly delineated. We didn't have any gotchas along the way. The steps were, we just, we followed the plan. We took the course on, on Expect Everywhere. We used that as our roadmap, and that helped us get us over here and deal with the logistics of getting our needs and, and getting our bank account and all those things that we needed just to qualify for the visa. We put in our visa application. I think we were approved in nine days, which was wow. phenomenal. And, uh, and then as soon as we got here, we found a business attorney to help us go through the steps in the process of opening up a business. We had read online what the steps were, but there was a lot of guidance saying that you're going to need an attorney for this process. You can't just do it yourself. Okay. And did you both start out on a D7? Yes. Okay. 
So you started out on the D7, and then once you got here, that's when you decided to establish the business. Yes. Yes. Okay. And how much was the lawyer to help you with all the filings and forms? Oh, we probably spent, I'd say, around one to two thousand euros. Some of that was the lawyer fees, and some of that was just the fees for the government forms and things like that. And a little of that is kind registrations, of licenses, yeah. that type of thing. A little of that's kind of mingled with our own legal process. We use the same lawyer until we had a business entity. It was all out of our account, not the business itself. Okay, so it sounds like it's actually pretty low barrier of entry financially as well. I think to start the business, it's really it's pretty low in cost and it's pretty easy to process itself. And do you have any employees? Yes, I have one employee who works with me full time, and then one freelance. Okay. And are the wages good? Do you feel like you're able to run a successful cash flowing business? You find that challenging as well? It's tricky because. When we came here, when we started the business, the idea is to help revive the economy, the local economy. And that means also providing for our employees. So that uh, minimum wage in Portugal is really low compared mm-hmm. to European countries. So we decided to pay more than minimum wage. Yeah, that's what we do. Right now, we feel negative in terms of profit. And how do you feel you've been received by the local community being a foreigner that's opened up a business? I think people like it. I've met a lot of people in the industry, in Porto, in the fashion industry. They love the concept. They love the idea. So I think people who understand the concept and the business, they love uh, that we're starting something different than what they already have. And it's pretty well received. But different can be can be a bit of a challenge for the consumers. And the consumer traffic, the foot traffic into the store has been much lower than we had hoped. And that's something that we are trying to pivot on. How do we attract local consumers? How do we make our, our voice resonate in a way that's meaningful? The things that we would do in the United States for a retail establishment maybe aren't the right things to be doing here. And finding that guidance is tricky. We haven't found someone who said, oh, you to put this sign in your window and you need to advertise in this newspaper and that'll help you 100%. We thought we were getting good coverage. We, we even had the local CNN affiliate do a little piece on this and the new in town piece. And we got a lot of traction on our website right after that, but then it didn't mm-hmm. turn into foot traffic. Uh, and maybe we did something fundamentally wrong, either the location or the marketing. But we'd love to figure out how to correct that because everyone who does engage with the business, locals particularly, they love the concept. It's just getting people in the door that's difficult. Okay. Well, I guess we've danced around it enough. What do you guys do? What is this business? Okay. So it's a, I think it's a hybrid of styling studio. When I say styling studio, it's not for hair, it's not for makeup, but it's for wardrobe, for clothing. Um, my background is in fashion design, also fashion style wardrobe, and then pretty much like the show What Not to Wear on TLC mm-hmm. a long time ago. So it's a hybrid of styling studio where people can come and let me style them in doing consultation. And also we're reselling luxury designer fashion pieces. Okay. So, uh, you know, a couple months back, my wife and I visited WOW. And there's an experience at WOW, which is a world of wine. However, it's not all about wine. There are different experiences there. And one of the museum experiences is about Porto's history in fashion and goes through not just the manufacturing side, but some of the other ways that the city has influenced Portugal and Europe in general. 
Have you guys found Porto to be a fashionable city or is that something that you feel like it's lacking? It's lacking. <laughs> it is. To be honest, but you, I found that there are in Porto, in, in the city itself, there are a lot of concept stores here and there. I think people are trying. Um, but I think in terms of like the fashion scene, it's just, I think it's not as big as Lisbon uh, in Portugal. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Capital cities tend to be drivers. Yeah. And, but Porto has fashion week on its own twice a year. I guess it's trying. Um, Portugal as a small country to have two fashion week, one in Lisbon and one in Porto, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Okay. As far as getting to know locals, and what I mean is like other local business owners, vendors, suppliers, that type of thing. Are you finding it difficult being an outsider or are they welcoming in that respect as well? I guess it depends. For me, people who, let me, in terms of vendor, for me, my challenge is the language itself. That's not okay. everyone speaks English and I'm, I still don't speak Portuguese enough to have that kind of conversation about business stuff. Technical industry kind of yeah. jargon that you have yeah. to use. Yeah, absolutely. But in terms of uh, people that I met in the industry, it's just mostly like the stylists, the designers. It's very well received from that part. Yeah. Okay. What are you all doing to improve your Portuguese? Study, learn, and improve your Portuguese? We took classes when we first got here in Seva, which is the government classes. But after that, COVID happened again. Classes got canceled and they said they're going to call us back when it's ready to start. And we never got called back. And then we got too busy with the business. So we haven't got back into it. But the plan is for us to get back to classes after we move to our house. So just trying to figure out so, what classes. So you arrived here. You got started with learning the language. Yeah. And this was all before you opened up your doors, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. I commend you definitely for giving it a go. Even Portuguese people say that Portuguese is a difficult language. I do find it challenging. It's not something that people can't wrap their heads around. I hope that people, when they move over here, they try because like you said, it, it can definitely make it a better experience if you know the language, if you're able to work with people, whether it's on the business side or personal side, being able to understand the culture better through the language. Definitely. One of the things that really helps is being forced to use Portuguese. We're remodeling a house, the house in Gaia, and the contractors or the subcontractors that are there, most of them only speak Portuguese. When I go there and I'm trying to communicate something or they're trying to ask me a question, we either fumble through the translation apps, but we try and at least first find the right words to communicate, even if it's really broken English and really broken Portuguese. And I found that process just stumbling through the errors so much better than just listening to an audible book on Portuguese and trying to understand the language and trying to just retain it, forcing yourself to use it. And that's a need. It's a necessity. I want the thing to be done, what they're asking. I want to understand their question. I want the, to communicate what my desire is with the house or what they're working on. And so it, yeah. it's a real necessity. And, and that and delivery people, because they will always call when you don't expect them to call. That's and, right. They're always somewhat angry 
and and they're asking you questions about your address or the color of your building or something like that and it, it often produces a lot of anxiety in me because i'm i don't want my delivery to go away i want it to come to right me. There, there's a couple types of deliveries people can get there's and probably two of the most common would be when you're setting up the house whether it's a, an apartment that you're renting that's unfurnished or a house that you've bought an apartment that you've bought and you're needing to bring furniture in there's there are those calls that you can receive right and oftentimes you're scheduling delivery between 12 and 2 and you never get the call and you're sitting around what's happening here and then you get it at 5 30 and you're like so thrown off guard and you don't even realize who's actually calling you right because it's so out of the window of time then there's the other one which is i don't know if you all order groceries online but you can order groceries online and have them delivered to your house or even like uber eats or one of those services but when they call it's kind of it's great because you do have these set questions that you always get asked. So you know, you start to build a vocabulary. Like you, you can predict what's going to be said and you build that vocabulary through repetition. So I totally resonate with what you're saying, Scott. That's fantastic. And just forcing yourself through it. I A couple of weeks ago, they were getting some appliances delivered to the house. They came on the wrong day. Just to be safe, I was working at a co-working spot about a 10-minute walk to the house. It's pouring rain outside. And I'm trying to communicate to them that there are workers in the house, but the doorbell doesn't work. Just mm. go to the house and someone will let you in. And then I just start running in the rain to get there to make sure that all of this happens. And I get there and they're unloading the appliances and putting them in the house. And it's, ah, uh, I guess I said the right words. <laughs> oh, that's epic. Okay, awesome. Let's talk a little bit about ownership because it sounds like you've bought a house. Is that right? Yes. Did you buy your space for your business or are you leasing that? That's being leased. Okay. So let's move towards the buying side. What was that process like for you all? The buying side, there are a couple pain points, but they weren't the pain points we expected. For us, it was fairly straightforward to get a mortgage here in Portugal. And we had 20% down on our mortgage. Uh, so I know folks have said, oh, you need to put 30, 50% down mm -hmm. just to be considered. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what helped for us is before we even moved here, we started a relationship with a banker at Millennium Bank. It doesn't have to be Millennium Bank. Millennium Bank has had some problems with their computers and things gotten delayed but having that good relationship with a banker whatever bank that's at has been tremendous because it seems like the individual bankers have a lot more discretion over getting mortgages processed and getting insurance and all of those things than than in the united states the united states just goes to some giant underwriting computer in the back room this there's personal relationship is really key yeah, one thing that we've noticed is we work with a mortgage broker and that mortgage broker's relationship with other banks and other bankers can be make or break. And the great thing about a mortgage broker is that they're going to shop different rates for you. And we have seen, like you said, some banks will say to a foreigner like a, or a couple, we'll, we'll do 70%. Others will say we need 50% down. And then for the same couple or the same individual, another bank will say, yeah, 20% down is fine. So it's great to have somebody that can shop that for you. But like you said, relationships are super crucial here, especially when you want to get things done. How long did the process to purchase a house take? It's almost been a year in this process. So we found the house in wow. January of last year. We found it looking at Idealista. And we went there, we scheduled a visit with our realtor. And that went well. And we decided that we want to move forward. Can you tell us the name of the realtor that you used and what company they work for? Yeah, our realtor, uh, her name is Viola, uh, and she's with Remax and Matasinos. 
Okay. How did you find her? Uh, how did we find her? <laughs> Facebook group, Puerto Expat. Okay, great. And so we started the process with Millennium Bank to get the, what do we need to do to move forward? And then we went through the process of getting a purchase agreement. And then everything slowed down. It was a, it, the house was an inheritance. So there were four siblings and their spouses and yep. that, that owned the house. And just for Millennium Bank to go through all of that inheritance checking and verification of documents, we had to get the acceptance letter and the rates reset twice because it expired in Millennium's timeline. And it was on Millennium. So the rate went up a little bit during the whole process. And so it wasn't until May, I think, that we finally closed on the house, end of May. And then we started working with our contractor. We got a construction loan or a remodeling loan through Millennium as well. And then we started work on the house in August. The fastest part was working with our contractor. They've been extremely reliable. They've, they've gone above on so many things in terms of getting stuff done. Communication's been pretty good. There, there's a little bit of a language gap between the two of us. But we seem to be able to communicate really well. The name of the contractor that we use is Gabriel and Lambert. They are husband and wife team. But they, they just go above and beyond on everything that you're doing. And I've been really impressed. I've heard nightmares from other people where they get into a remodel and two years later, they're still in that same remodel. And right. th- this, we were hoping to finish in December. Looks like some things are going to fall over to January just because of supply issues. Some of the things, their suppliers are running slow because of the holidays. Some things broke in transit and we have to reorder. They're pretty close to our initial deadline. I was really happy with that process. Awesome. Yeah, Congratulations. Awesome. How did you find this uh, this contractor? From a realtor. So he recommended this to. So we actually interviewed them. We also interviewed two other contractors. So finding the contractor is a key. So when they see you as a foreigner, they can take advantage of it. When we set a budget, this is our budget that we want to do for the uh, renovation. The first contractor that to see us i think he went almost double the budget that we gave him. more than double it was like two more and a half times double. okay yeah and, and how the, big was the scope of work that you needed done like a complete remodel with plumbing electrical and everything or was it more surfacey things a little bit of both okay. so it, it was the house had originally had the primary floor the living room kitchen dining room sitting room foyer all separate rooms and you want to be able to see the kitchen from the front door and the whole room is open so there was a lot of demolition interiorly on the front door just taking down walls so we didn't touch okay. the exterior and we told them to use as much of the existing plumbing and electrical as possible the house is about 45 years old they said the electrical is in good shape so we just went through that process it's a larger house than we originally intended and this is one of the things that i guess if we roll back the process a little bit and we want to touch on this when we looked at properties the property prices and what you got for those properties were all over the place in terms of the price per square foot. So location matters. Yep. And that's one of the reasons we chose Gaia. We got a lot more per square foot. So for our that's budget, right. for our price point that we were looking for, we were looking at things that were about 80 to 90 square meters in Porto, which is 800, 900 square feet. And mm-hmm. in, in Gaia, we found a property that was 320 square meters. That's yeah. Just- and certainly the time that you bought as well, it was better now the gap's starting to close but yeah that's awesome and what's the name of the contractor andresa and marlon lambert okay we'll put that in the show notes for people yeah. so they can yeah they can reach out to the contractor yeah so the the house was larger than we had anticipated so we're only mm-hmm. remodeling 
two of the floors. It's three floors and a basement. And the first floor is a garage. We're going to decide what we want to do with that space later. If it's feasible and we can do it and we get all the approval for it, we might turn the first floor into an apartment and rent that out. Okay. Or we have we yeah. generate a little bit of income off our property. That's mm-hmm. our hope. But we don't know, again, we don't know what the, the legal process is for that to divide a mm-hmm. single family home into two residences. That might be an administrative process that we're not familiar with. And so we targeted the space that we needed to use within the house. And that's what we did for the remodel. But then inside, it's all new fixtures, all new kitchen, new flooring, redo the walls. So in that case, the remodel was rather extensive. Okay. Talking a bit about money, you guys had a perception of Portugal and Porto being cheap. Has it met your expectations or what's the reality been like? I think when we first moved here, everything seems very cheap. But after we live here, we consider ourselves as a local. I think things are catching up right now. I kind of refuse to go to a restaurant if I have to spend 25 euro per uh, per plate, that kind of thing. Sure. You can get a full meal here for lunch for like under 10 euro sometimes, right? Yeah, that's, I can, I guess in, in terms of food, restaurants, if you go to local restaurants, yes, they are cheap compared to what we used to in the U.S. But if you go to more international restaurants, they are actually not that cheap. Okay. So yeah. fairly on par with what you would spend for a meal in the United States or in Austin mm-hmm. to keep it more what, local? Of what we would have spent in Austin, maybe pre-pandemic. I think the prices for food have gone up also in the United okay. States. It just it, they got gone up globally. And have you noticed inflation in Portugal? Yeah, we've yeah. noticed it. In, yeah, in food prices and and because the because of the relationship with the euro to the dollar, some of the things that you mm. import have gotten expenses more expensive as well. Yeah, that's totally true, and I think that's something that maybe a lot of people forget about, especially bringing a remote job over to Europe while you're still making the dollar that exchange rate can definitely impact actually how much you're making on the ground. A few months back when it was on par or the dollar was actually a little stronger than the euro. Wow. But now it's quite different. So tell me about the some of the other costs that you guys have. Like how much are utilities running? What are transportation costs that you all are incurring? Is Do those fall in line with what you had expected or are those more expensive or cheaper? Uh, utilities are lower than we expected. We had okay. the understanding that, wow, utilities are expensive in Europe. That's why people are a little bit more conservative with air conditioning and heat and things like that. And we found that generally the utilities have been less for based on what we consume than we paid in the United States. And what was the other criteria you'd ask? Transportation. Yep. Yeah. We both get the monthly Dante card through, through STCP. And so that gives us access to metro, buses, regional rail. And that's a fixed price for us. That's 40 euros each. And it's unlimited rides per day. Great. And what zone does that cover? Zone one, two? Yeah. So for this one, from all the way from down from Espino all the way up. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. There are two prices here. There's, so there's the 30 euro a month card, which does give you, restrict you to certain zones. And, and then the 40 euro a month gives you all the zones plus the regional rail. Okay. Do you find yourself using it a lot to travel the country? Yeah, we've used it half a dozen times at least to go outside of the Porto area. What, what's your favorite thing about living in Portugal? I guess it's somewhat intangible, but the best way I can describe it is that you, there's a certain cultural anxiety in the United States. And moving here seemed to just 
dissipate that. All of the things that were kind of triggers on social media and in the news and and locally and things like that just don't seem to be as loud here from the ones that are from the United States. They just don't seem to be as life impacting as they are for us because we're no longer there. And mm. they don't they don't impact our day to day anxiety level that we were experiencing before we moved. Okay. Will, how about you? For me it's the sense of safety. I can go out at night and walk around in Yes, I'm being cautious, but also, but I know that uh, there's like, a, I mean, I won't get robbed, I won't get murdered, <laughs> that kind of thing. That, yeah, like even in the middle of the night, I still walk home by myself, and I'm, I feel okay with it. No one is staring at me. No one is trying to target me. That, that, so. Okay. One of your criteria that you all talked about was openness for the LGBT community. How do you feel the adaptation has been here? Do you feel welcome in that regard? Yeah. So everyone that I've met so far have no problem with it. Like I said earlier, I don't feel like I'm being targeted or anything. And people have been fine with the way I am right now. One of the small differences that we find here is we'll go into a restaurant or we'll go somewhere, but particularly in restaurants. In the United States, quite a few number of times people would say, oh, do you want separate checks? Because they see two men sitting at a restaurant. And very rarely do we get that here. They just assume Mm. we're a couple. And that mindset shift, that Mm. makes it feel so much more welcoming for us. Okay. Yeah, I would say in a larger way, go out with six people and they'll give you one check. Like You have to really put your foot down about getting it divided up. But also what we've started to do culturally is I think something that Portuguese do as well, which is just... You just average it out and everybody throws money in just regardless of what each person ordered. Have you guys experienced that going out with friends? Have you adapted to that and noticed that to be a thing? Yeah. Sometimes if we go out with friends, usually we pay what we order, but some other times, like, not a big deal. Like, just divide it, split it up evenly, and that's just the way it is, yeah. I guess it depends on who are you going out with. Yeah, it's pretty convenient okay. here with if the they come to your table with the credit card machine. There's no dance where you give them the credit card. They come with a tray, you sign the paper, you go back, the whole thing in the United States. Here they come with the credit yeah. card machine to your table. So if you just want to pay twenty five, you pay twenty five and the next person and he goes around the table and everyone pays. And when you go to restaurants, like the number on the menu is the number that you pay. The prices is you don't have the taxes and then it's some so that's that that's 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 it. Yeah. Speaking of tips, tip culture, do you guys still tip? Occasionally. It depends. <laughs> it depends. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. But when we do, it's not going to be as high as what we did in the US. It's not going to be like 20%. No. So it's just, it's more like a gesture, a symbol, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Nice. To have a dad joke in here, speaking of tips, do you have any tips for our listeners on how to adapt more smoothly to Portugal? I think learn the language first as much as you can before you okay. get here. I know we'll speak English. But... Yeah, there, there, there are a lot of people here that they know English. They can speak it, but they're English shy. If we're learning Portuguese, we might be Portuguese shy. So until you get to know them to have some level of comfort, they're going to be really uncomfortable using English. And we're going to be really uncomfortable using Portuguese. So you just got to break through that and just put it out there and try and fumble through translators and find a way to find a way to communicate. 
Awesome. Could you tell us where your business is located and what the name of it is? Um, the name of the business is House of Owls. It's located in Foss. Uh, Foss is a neighborhood uh, by the beach. That is known for being fashionable and trendy and wealthy? I don't know about fashionable and trendy. No. Maybe wealthy, yes. But not always okay. the case because, yes, there are like multi-million euros of bills. Yep. The, the gap is pretty high. So it's not always, yeah, it's not always wealthy. No, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Kaylee and I have a YouTube video where we go to Fosh and go through Fosh Value. Question, guys. You ready? Mm-hmm. At Expats Everywhere, we believe that living abroad transforms lives. How has living abroad transformed your life? I on this a little bit earlier in, in, in terms of getting away from the real stress that we had in the United States, but also it being in a, a new environment where you have to relearn a lot of things from just the geography of where do you get your groceries and what are the processes for doing things and what's the cultural differences to learning a whole new language and making new friends. I think that really is uh, rejuvenating uh, you to use parts of your brain and to, uh, and to be connected to other people that uh, a lot of a little bit during the COVID years. So we, we went in our houses and we hid behind desks uh, and really interact with other people and it, it forces us out of that. And for me, um, I think it makes me more independent in terms of I'm not more independent and more social. I become more social with people everywhere, explore even more instead of just staying in your little bubble, driving a car everywhere. So yeah, that for me, it's just like making me more social and just more open to the other possibilities. Will and Scott, thank you guys so much for joining us today on the Let's Move to Portugal podcast. You guys have been awesome sharing your experience here, moving here and setting up a business here, which I think should help a good number of people who want to do the same. I think moving here first and then getting the business started sounds like a pretty straightforward and simple way to do it. So thanks for sharing that tip with us. Oh, our pleasure. Oh, thanks for having us. Take care. So listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal. We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the digital nomad visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the digital nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions.
Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts. 